Okay, well, for my own, my own sake, um, just my clarity and focus, let's pray one more time and invite God to come teach us about the gifts that he wants us to have. Amen. You give people gifts that you care about and love because you know they're good for them, they'll enjoy them, they're of benefit, and, and that's his heart towards us. If we're even a little bit good at giving gifts, it's nothing compared to our Father in heaven who gives good gifts to his kids. And so, Father, we thank you that you love us. God, that in itself can just stop us in our tracks right there. You love us. You take us as we are. And because you love us, you invite us into new places of freedom, joy, healing, God, you connect us into a family and then we get to turn around and share how good you are with other people who need a good, loving father. And God, I thank you that that's what these gifts are all about, strengthening and encouraging your people and enabling us to cooperate with you to help others in need. And so, God, we just invite you to come. Holy Spirit, would you be our teacher and our guide this morning? God, if... If um, there's old ways of thinking that need repaired, do that. God, if there's past bad experiences, God, help us not to be weighed down by just, you know, the messiness of this life and people getting it wrong at times. Help us hear your truth and what you offer and trust you for that. And so, God, just help us not to stay in ignorance and fear, but God, help us to receive and enjoy all you have for us. Um, bring clarity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we've spent weeks going through the gifts of the Spirit. We've kind of touched on each of them. We hung out in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. Um, you, can, you can find all those sermons and notes on our website. Um, what I mentioned when we started the gift is, gifts is since I was going to kind of teach my way through them, I want to give us a Sunday to just kind of camp on the ones that might be a little more controversial or uncomfortable for us. And so I'm going to do my best to get some, through some material in about 15 to 20 minutes. And I'm going to leave some room for question and answers. Um, emphasis on the questions. Maybe you'll get some answers. <laughs> I'll do my best. Um, but just for us to have some conversation if needed. Primarily, we're focusing on the, the uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where Paul addresses speaking in tongues. He addresses prophecy and he also addresses how all of that fits together in gatherings like this, when the, the church comes together. And so that's what we're talking about. So I want to begin by reading the first verse and the last two verses in 1 Corinthians 14, because in introduction and conclusion, he summarizes the heart of the whole thing. Okay, so here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, pursue love. Can you guys do the little humor, the cheesy pastor thing here for a minute? Can we all say that together? Pursue love. Pursue love and not but or maybe or pick one or the other, both. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. That might be a brand new thought for you to pursue prophecy. Okay, now the end of the passage. Verses 39 and 40. So my brothers and sisters earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Okay? 
pursue love. Prophecy is a good thing. Speaking in tongues is a good thing. Doing things decently and in order is a good thing. That's it. That's the whole thing, okay? So here we go. Let's lean into this a little bit, all right? Now, I want to talk to you about prayer language, speaking in tongues. Now, when we defined this a little while back, we mentioned that there's really a couple different aspects of this, okay? There's, there's having the God-given ability in the moment to speak a language you haven't learned, like a, just another language, And so God can give you the ability to speak French if that's what's needed in the moment because you want to communicate the heart of the gospel to somebody who's not going to understand you otherwise. God does that. That's what took place on Pentecost, by the way. So we talked about that. Additionally, and what we're going to focus on this morning is the prayer language of speaking in a heavenly tongue in an unknown, previously not known language. And there is an aspect of that that can involve a group of people, okay? So that's what we're talking about this morning. So prayer language, speaking in an unknown tongue, speaking in a heavenly language, whatever phrase you want to use, is a gift that God gives us. So I want to read you a couple of verses that are in this chapter on this, okay? Now at the moment, I'm just focusing on what the gift is and does in our lives. We are going to talk towards the end about our gatherings, okay? So, uh, verse 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. So it's, it's a language of intimacy. I'm talking to God. For no one understands, and the people around you are not going to get what you're saying, but you utter mysteries in the Spirit. There, there is a component in our relationship with God that can involve Words coming out of our mouth that we do not understand that the Holy Spirit is producing and empowering. And it is, it is um, a part of our intimacy with God. It's something he hears and understands. It's something he's doing in our hearts. Okay? Now, what does that produce? Well, there's a picture of it in verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. It can, it can build you up. It can be encouraging. I have to to just say this up front, guys. I I pray in tongues. I've experienced this in my life. And I can tell you some of the things that is produced in my life. Um, There's times where where it brings peace. There's times where I'm praying for something and I'm confused. I'm stuck. I don't even know what the right thing is. And so I go from praying what I know to pray, what's in my mind, what's in my heart, to where, God, I I don't know what to pray here. And I just kind of lean into him and This heavenly language comes forth, and God brings some peace. Sometimes it brings clarity. As I'm praying in this mysterious language, it's like, okay, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say? What do you think about this situation? And at times, as I'm praying in tongues, he'll bring stuff to my mind. And so it's not like my mind's disengaged, but I'm I'm leaning in, I'm praying, and I'll I'll see God bring clarity. Um, It can be a source of strength, strength. And it's definitely a part of of worship. In fact, many times when I first experienced it in my life, I was in a worship service. It was just singing to God and praising him. And someone had been teaching about this. And so I was just sort of open to it and said, okay, God, if that's something you want to do. And one minute I'm singing the words of the song. And then I'm just saying, you know, God, I love you. I worship you. You're amazing. And then out comes this prayer language. And so um, it's something I, I... experience in my life, and I'm grateful for it. Um, 
So um, let's continue on. Verses 14 and 15. If I, I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. There's, so I'm not necessarily understanding what I'm saying. Verse 15, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. That's what I was just describing. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. And so it can literally be this kind of blend of just, man, I'm spending time with Jesus. I'm praying to him. I'm talking to him. I'm listening to him. I'm worshiping him. And it can be a part of my prayer life and my worship with him. Um, and man, it's just, it, to me, at times, it's been a really cool sign that just God's with me. You know, it's a way of him saying, man, I'm, I'm with you, bud. I love you. I'm for you. Um, what I want to say is this. I, as much as I can with both this topic and in general what we're covering today, I want to bring as much clarity as we can bring. But I also want to say, we worship a God who is above and beyond us, and there is an element of mystery in who he is and what he's up to, and at times, things he invites us into. And so, I just have to say, I, th I think God wants us to have clarity or we're supposed to have clarity. I also think he wants us to, to trust him with some of the mysterious things that he does and, and watch what he can do. And so I, I've experienced peace and joy in life that flows out of this. The, the heart behind this is that I'm speaking to God. It's a, it's a part of an intimate prayer language with him. It builds us up. It, it is meant to engage our spirit and our mind. All right? So there's a bit on prayer language. Okay, now let's talk a little about prophecy, and then we'll talk about how they work together in our gatherings, okay? So prophecy, um, kind of intermixed with some of these same verses, Paul's also addressing prophecy. And so in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, he's transitioning from talking about tongues, which is more for private use is what he's saying, because other people don't understand what you're praying. It's you and God. And he says, on the other hand, verse 3, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. So it can bring strength. It can encourage people. It can console people who are hurting. Here's the deal. The word prophecy sounds so mysterious. And we can get very hung up on the, the part of prophecy that's about predicting future things. And I I do believe that happens. We see it in scripture. I think it happens. The majority of prophecy in the scripture is God speaking to specific people in a specific moment for them to hear what they need to hear. I don't know about you, but man, there are times where I need to hear from God that he sees me, he knows, maybe he'll even give me some clarity on what do I do right now? I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. And God will use the gift of prophecy to speak something personal and direct. It could be to a whole group of people. It could be to a specific thing. Manuel, you need this today. And so God lays on your heart to share something with him. And you know, I, I talked about this already when we covered prophecy a little bit earlier, but you know, we get so hung up on needing to qualify it you know, as a thus saith the Lord thing. Man, if God lays something in your heart to share with somebody, share it. If it's from him, it'll land, and they'll know it, and it'll resonate with their spirit, and it'll do what this verse says it'll do. It'll bring encouragement. It'll comfort someone who's hurting. And so God cares about people and he wants to speak to people. This is about learning to hear God's voice in our lives, okay? Um, 
And then verse four, that following verse, um, I already read a part of it. The first part, right? The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. The one who prophesies builds up the church. So prophecy is about communicating life, hope, truth, encouragement, something God has laid on your heart that you feel like, man, I'm supposed to share this to this person. All right? Now, how do we handle prophecy? This is important. Number one, we are to be open to prophecy. Listen, I have experienced plenty of the weirdos, okay? I have been in all kinds of situations like that. And it is easy when you've experienced something that's off or wrong to decide the safest, simplest thing is just to be closed off to it. But that's not what scripture teaches us to do. We're called to be open to prophecy. Paul writes about this um, to the Thessalonian church in Ephes- or sorry, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. He says, number one, do not quench the spirit. If God's wanting to say something, we don't want to shut that off. I want to hear what God wants to say. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. Don't just shut them out, out of hand. Lost my place. Okay, and test everything. That's key. So I don't quench the spirit. I don't despise prophecies, but I test everything and hold fast to what is good. Hold fast to what is good. There will be times where you hear something prophetic and immediately you're like, "Eh uh-uh. That's off. That ain't right. Nope. There's other times you might hear it and immediately just resonates with you. Yeah, man, that is right on. I needed to hear that. Thank you, God, for giving that to me. There also may be times where you're not sure at first. I don't know if that's for now or for later or what's going on. And it's easy to discard stuff. I remember my mom saying to me years ago, just take it and put it on the shelf. And God will bring it back to your memory if he wants to do something with that later. And so don't don't just dismiss it out of hand. Um, Eat the meat, spit out the bones, you know, be open to prophecy and, and then let's test it. And so the scripture talks a little bit more about how we do that. First John chapter four, verse one. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. See whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. There people with unintentionally getting it wrong, and there's people intentionally with bad motives who want to manipulate and control people to get what they want, to, to promote themselves, to push their agenda forward. And so in the same way that we don't dismiss it out of hand, we also don't just believe everything somebody says. And listen, one of the most dangerous things, I'm telling you guys, one of the most dangerous things for you is to not do that with someone like me. Because the longer we know each other, we build trust and relationship. And if you turn off your discernment meter and Jake starts going to crazy town, you might follow me right off that cliff. Instead, there needs to be some people at the church going, hey, buddy, let's back away from that cliff and get you some help. I need y'all to jump in and help me. And so it's not just a, I decide I can always follow that person and trust them. No, no, no. He's the good shepherd. He's the father. I'm following him, and I'm grateful for people he puts in my life that will speak truth and speak life. But I, I ultimately, I'm, I'm trusting him. Okay, and if, if y'all remember one of the weeks we talked about the gift of discernment, I think knowing your Bible is key to helping you understand when prophecy is right or wrong, but I also think you don't have to be intimidated and feel like you don't know enough. The Holy Spirit can give you the ability to discern if something's right or wrong, all right? So we test prophecy. 
um, we, can take, um, we can take our cues from the Bereans. Um, in Acts chapter 17, verse 10, um, Paul and Silas show up to the town of Berea and the people are thrilled to have them and are excited to hear their teaching and to learn from them and look at how they handled what they were hearing from Paul and Silas. Um, Acts chapter 17, verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, so they were open to what was being said, but they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. That's the approach. I'm eager, I'm excited, I want to receive and learn. Now, I'm going to compare it to God's word myself and go, is this right? Does this line up? And look at what this mentality produced in them. Verse 12, many of them therefore believed. I love that. Everybody in their midst, there was an atmosphere where faith could grow, where the gospel could be received because they were open to hearing truth that someone was communicating and they went after it for themselves. They went after it for themselves. All right, so that's a little bit on prayer language and prophecy. Let's talk about in our services, what does this look like? Okay, so I'm gonna read a little bit of a lengthy section here. This is verses nine through 13. And then just to trim it as much as I can, verses 18 and 19. Well, I don't know, I'm not avoiding the entire passage. Read the whole passage just for time's sake. I'm highlighting certain things. So verse 9. So with yourselves, remember he's talking about in a church group, in a gathering. So with yourselves, um, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, all right? Somebody can't understand it. How will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. In other words, He's saying to the Corinthians, I'm glad that you're excited to see spiritual gifts. That's great. I'm glad that you're pursuing that and you're eager. But don't be so wrapped up in just seeing something happen and getting all excited because we saw something happen. Think about what's beneficial to the church. Be excellent at building each other up. And so be aware as an example in a large group setting, there could be a lot of confusion that happens if somebody's getting up and saying unintelligible words and nobody benefits because nobody's hearing anything, understanding anything. Verse 13, therefore, notice he doesn't say you can never do it. He says, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. So the caveat that Paul gives to an unknown language in a group setting is that if we're going to pray out loud in a group setting for people to hear, that, that we should be confident that God's going to provide you or someone else with the interpretation. And that's where praying in tongues and prophecy can kind of do this, right? Because in our heavenly prayer language, God can speak some stuff that he wants to say, and then we may declare that publicly to everybody, Okay. And then we would practice everything we just learned about prophecy. Listen to it, hear it. Does it line up with the word of God? Is it for our encouragement, our upbuilding? Is it comforting? Is it truth-filled? 
then yes, we want it. Um, so there's some, some context for praying in tongues. He continues on, verse 18. Notice he's, he's encouraging it, right? He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. He says, when we're gathered, the point is to mutually encourage and build one another up. And so a language that we can understand can accomplish a whole lot more than just thinking it's cool to see the gifts on display and maybe not producing anything. Making sense? Okay. Now, a second reason that, that Paul gives, not only is he saying it's not really that beneficial for, for a lot of speaking in an unknown language and people don't understand, he also says, listen, it can just be confusing for outsiders. And so in verse 23, he says, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? Like some of the very people that might step in the church doors for the very first time, man, the whole point is we want them to hear about Jesus. We want them to receive God's love. And if they walk into something that's totally foreign to them and unknown, they might just out of their own not knowing dismiss it out of hand, be like, I got to get out of here. This is weird. And we can actually run off the very people that we're hoping to reach. Okay? Does this make sense? So again, Notice it's, it's about love. If I love and care about people, I want to see the church built up and encouraged. That's how I use the gifts. All right? Okay, prophecy now, kind of mixed with tongues as well. Um, how does prophecy play out in a church gathering? All right? Verses 31 through 33. For you can all prophesy one by one. So there's, there's kind of an orderliness to it. It's not chaotic. All right? People can take turns so that all may learn and all be encouraged. Verse 32, this is an important verse that a lot of people don't get or have just not seen it. And the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. Verse 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. I have been in settings where people felt like I absolutely have to right now in this moment, at this second, say this prophecy out loud for everyone to hear or I might explode. And so I, I shouldn't be stopped because that's quenching the spirit. But what this verse is saying is that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. In other words, I have control over my body, over my mind, over my mouth. And so I can wait. I can take turns. I can allow someone else to share if they're sharing. And so I, I do have a measure of control. I'm not talking about ignoring it and quenching the spirit, but we can do things in an orderly fashion. Does this make sense? Yeah? So if God lays something in your heart, awesome. God, thank you for that. Cool. Okay, Lord, um, is that for me? Like, was that just kind of for me where you want to speak some truth into my heart that I need to receive? I think sometimes we, we assume it needs to be for everybody, and God's just trying to say something to you. God, is that for me or is that for everybody? Okay, maybe it's for everybody. Okay, well, what's the context I'm in right now? Where am I at? What gathering am I in? Do I have the permission? Do I have the authority? Do I have the opportunity to, to speak in this moment? Um, if I'm unsure if I have that permission, who's in authority in that gathering? And let me submit and ask them, is this appropriate? Could I share? I can tell you in our context on a Sunday morning what I would encourage you to do. 
Um, Rob, can you stand up? Alex, can you stand up? Um, these aren't the only two, all right? There are others in our church, but these guys are elders in our church. And so y'all see Rob and Alex? They looking good this morning? Awesome, all right, y'all can sit back down. All right, come up to me or one of those guys if you feel like God's laid something on your heart to share and just say, hey, I don't know if this is appropriate right now or not. I feel like God's laid this on my heart and can, can I share this or can someone share this? Here's a verse he laid on my heart. Here's something I feel like he's saying. May, may I share that? And I can tell you, you'll hear yes, no, or wait, maybe later. <laughs> That's what you'll hear. And if you've been here long enough, you've seen there have been moments where we've invited people to come up and share something that God has laid on their heart. And so that's how we're going to do that in this context. There are other contexts where we gather. You know, our life groups are a little bit smaller, and you build a little bit more relationship, and there's a little more trust there. And you you still need to submit to the leadership in that setting, but those are areas where we can speak life and encouragement to each other. You know, when you're bearing your soul with people— and they know the struggles and things you're walking through, and then you start praying for each other, thank God that there might be times where he wants to show up and speak a word of encouragement right into Franz's life. And so, man, I want to be filled enough with love and courage and boldness to, to be willing to share that, but I also don't want to just hijack the group, and so I'm going to submit to what's happening in the group. But in, really cool things can happen in our midst because we're not just gathering on our own. We're inviting Jesus to come into our homes and be in our midst as we gather, as we pray, as we study together. All right? Is this making sense? Okay. All right. I want to close really quick with one thing from the chapter previously, and then we'll open it up for, for questions. They can be about tongues and prophecy. It can be about something else we've covered in the series. That's great. I'm going to read through this relatively quickly. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I mentioned last week, there is a reason that not just Paul, but that the Holy Spirit moved on Paul for 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to fit in between chapter 12, that was all about what the gifts are, and chapter 14 and how they operate in the church. Because the whole point is that we operate in love. And almost every context where we see the gifts misused, it's either just the messiness of like it might be new and somebody's unintentionally just, you know, a little off or we're not walking in love and we're promoting self and we're not, we're not preferring others over ourselves. And so here's, here's some reminders here, okay? First Corinthians chapter 13, verse one. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If love is not the motivating factor behind my speech, and, and notice this, he didn't just say the tongues of angels, he said the tongues of men. So if I'm getting up and speaking English to you, or I'm using a tongue, if it is not motivated by love, not only is it useless, he's saying it's like a clanging cymbal. That means it's obnoxious and can even be painful to the hearer. We should be motivated by love when we speak. Second verse, the next verse. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith, he's listing some of those gifts of the spirit. Man, if that stuff is operating in me and like I'm just a powerhouse in the faith, if I can even remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. 
All the confidence, thank you, Abby. All the, all the confidence I might have in myself and my spiritual abilities and gifts, it's nothing if I've lost sight of the motivating power of God's love for other people. Okay, now, verse three, I think this is interesting. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Let's say I just go, hey, forget the gifts. Forget all that. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna put my head down. I'm gonna work for the kingdom. I'm gonna sacrifice. I'm gonna serve. I'm gonna give. Man, if I lose sight of the why, if I'm striving, earning, serving, and I'm just missing out on the love of God and the purpose behind serving like that, I gain nothing. I gain nothing. It's, it's love that motivates. It's love that's the purpose. And it's love that flows out. And so what does that love look like? Paul defines that a little bit. It's not touchy-feely emotional, although it can be that. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Thank God. As for prophecies, they will pass away. Because eventually when I'm in heaven, I'm not going to need that. God's right there. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Love never ends. We serve an eternal God who loves us. And he's invited us into a love relationship with him. And he wants people who he's made as eternal beings to know and live in and experience his love. And as members of his family, we get to receive that love and we get to cooperate with him to share that love with the world around us. That's why he gives us gifts. Amen? Okay, let me pray and then we can open it up for some some question and answers. Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the intimacy of having a prayer language and our walk with you. Thank you for, um, God, the ability to interpret and to communicate your heart to people in the moment. God, to encourage and build up, to comfort. Um, Thank you for that, God. Lord, continue to teach us in this particular body how to cooperate with you. God, receiving and experiencing your love, being open to and recognizing your presence in our lives and the gifts that you want to give us so we can cooperate with you to see other people experience your love, to be healed, to be encouraged, all of it. God, we just want to say yes and amen. We're open to you and what you have for us. God, we want to be guided by you to do it right and healthy. Um, And God, we want to see people touched by your love. Thank you that you've poured it into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. All right, so we can take five or 10 minutes. We'll try to wrap up at maybe quarter till um, and answer some questions. Also, if asking a question in this setting is intimidating, I will hang out and we can have a little one-on-one conversation if you'd rather do that. Um, But does anybody have any thoughts or questions based on what we covered today or elsewhere in the series? And don't be embarrassed. There's not a bad question. There's not a dumb question.
Can I do something really quick? Because we're recording this, can Alex run this microphone back to you, bud? There you go, it's on. All right, Tyler, give me your best shot. What you got, man? (laughs) So if you have... Um, if you have had an experience with tongues, or you think you have, how do you know if it's truly tongues or if it's kind of gibberish? I had a pretty funny story with my experience with it, mm-hmm. but I think like over the years I've maybe kind of doubted it, and yeah. so I just don't do it anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mostly because I don't want to like disrespect the process of it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I've kind of wondered, was that real or was it yeah. not real? Yeah. You know, so Absolutely. I just don't want to disrespect that process. So I, yeah. sometimes when I pray, I'm like, eh, I don't know. I don't, yeah. don't want to go there. Yeah. So Yeah, it's a that's, great question, man. Yeah. That's great. Um, what, what I would encourage you to do is um, kind of give that past experience to the Lord and say, God, I'm not sure what that was. I'd like to believe that was you and your presence in my life. Um, I trust you for that sort of thing in my life. I'm open to you. And God, here and now, I want to commune with you. I, I want to hear your voice in my life. God, I want to know and believe that you hear me. And so, Jesus, I love you. I worship you. I want what you have for me. And just pray and worship him. And, man, if he wants to show up and bless you with tongues, he'll do it. Um, I think we can get ripped off trying to overanalyze something. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. Anybody else? Savannah. See, now, since Tyler stood up, now you have to stand up. I'll stay seated. (laughs) (laughs) So, if one has had a bad experience, yeah previously with tongues slash prophecy. How do you recommend getting past that slash when it's discussed, not being like bitter? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. I I think, I think the simplest thing to do is walk out what the gospel teaches us. Um, This, this might be, this might not seem like the logical first step, but I would actually encourage you to ask God to help you forgive them for the past heart experience. Because you have no idea what was behind that, what the motivation was. God, would you help me forgive them for what happened there? Then what you can do is acknowledge to God, God, I, that wasn't you. I'm trusting me that's not you and that's not your heart. And so I want you to heal what was broken and I want, I want to invite you to do something new in me. Give me a new heart on this topic. Right? Like we pray verses like about, you know, creating me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. Um, I think that can be brought in general. I think it can be specific to something that's going on. God, would you create in me just a new heart and a new attitude towards this? And remember, like, it's not about, um, it can feel risky because you're with other people, right? And so you feel like I'm trusting them, but really you're trusting him. So saying, God, I'm trusting you that if you want to do something in that realm in my life, I'm open to it, and that you will guide me and let me know if this is right and healthy and good. Does that make sense? But I just, I'd talk to him about it. I, I think a lot of, not even just on this topic, ways that we get hurt emotionally, we go through experiences that scar us, um, those are places where in our walk with Jesus, we can invite, invite him in to come heal things that are broken. 
and just say, God, would you, would you make that a part of um, making me new and redeeming my life and see what he'll do. And it may be a little bit of a journey, but he'll do it. All right? Oh, let's grab the mic. Jerger. It's not really a question. I just wanted to lay something out there. Um, I had someone one time that had come from a charismatic church that when we got into discussion about, about the prayer language, they said in their church that they taught them how to, how to speak it, that, that they taught it like it was like teaching English. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I haven't seen that to be the case when, when the Lord fills you with it. So I'm just wondering what your thoughts were on, on yeah. actually somebody teaching you yeah. how to say the words. Yeah. I, I don't agree with teaching people how to say the words. I do think you can help people understand how to just be open to the Lord and say, yes, God, I want what you have for me. I think you can pray for people to receive the gift. And, um, but I think, you know, getting them to repeat something after you, I, I, don't, I don't personally agree with that. I don't really see it in Scripture. I don't see where the disciples were going around and said, here, start saying this stuff after me, and then that's how people prayed in tongues. I just don't see that. Um, I think for me, on, on things that are vague like that, I, I try to avoid being too quick to judge how somebody else is doing it and just go, here's, here's the boundaries that I'm, I feel comfortable walking in. And so um, I don't feel like I'm supposed to help people learn specific words. Instead, I would encourage people to be open in their walk with Jesus and to ask him for that gift if you want to have it, just like we should ask him for all the gifts. You know, Paul said, I want you all to speak in tongues, but also, man, prophecy would be way better. Like if you heard God speaking stuff into your heart and life and you knew it was from him and it was speaking to your heart or something you could share with somebody else, that's great. Um, so I would, I'd be open to all the gifts um, and invite him to come do it. But yeah, if, if there's people that you know that speak in tongues, you want to ask them to pray with you or talk with you about their experience. You know, I've heard people have different experiences. People have been in prayer services. Someone laid hands on them, prayed for them. They had the ability. I know people that just went home to their own little prayer closet and just talked to the Lord about it. And after a couple weeks of talking and praying and, and hoping, man, God showed up and they found themselves praying in an unknown language. So that's where I lean on that. Good question. Kristen. Um. I, when you told us last week to go home and read 12, 13, and 14, yep. former teacher, I did the homework. So mm-hmm. my question is um, for part of chapter 14. Mm-hmm. Um, Thought this might come up. I'm, yeah. I'm guessing where you're going, but um, go ahead. So there's <clears throat> some pretty like um, harsh words towards women yep. in there. And I'm, I, you know, I, I kind of always let those things go as cultural differences. And mm-hmm. that may be what you're going to say too, but I feel Mm -hmm. like everything in the Bible has a reason is intentional. So I'm just curious what your, what your thoughts are on that. Yes. Okay. I have a lot of thoughts on that. (laughs) Okay. So, um, let me, let me try to address something big picture for a minute. Okay. So there is a constant tension when we are interpreting, when we're interpreting scripture and we're trying to understand scripture, there's a tension between, you know, not only like what is God saying, what was the cultural context in the day, how does this apply? Is this something that was very practical and speaking to that culture in that moment? Is this something broad for all of us? And so I think it is really important to know the context of the scripture you're reading, 
who it's written to, what was going on with that audience. Um, I will say there, there is an inherent danger the more we lean to the side of assuming stuff's cultural because it opens up a whole lot of other things, then where do you draw the line? And so I think there's a lot of ways that we see in our current day things that are being accepted and believed by the church that are not biblical, but they're being put under the umbrella of, well, that was the culture of that day, and our culture today is different, so this is okay. So I do think it can be um, unsolid ground to lean on that cultural side of things. I will say I believe the context of this um, gets missed a lot. So a couple things. Um, number one, we need to understand what's happening in the Corinthian church. It was a mess. There was a lot of abuses going on. I'll give you some example of some. Um, and I can provide some of these verses to you guys if you want. We can see in chapters 1, 3, and 6 major divisions, gossip, quarreling, jealousy, lawsuits. Like within the body, they were suing each other like it was kind of a mess. Um, there was arrogance and pride that was showing up in the Corinthian church. There was a lot of sexual immorality going on. In fact, there's a specific issue that Paul calls out that he says, y'all have gone so far in allowing this, even the pagans think that's crazy. I'm going to be careful because of the ears that are in the room to tell you what it was. But there was sexual immorality going on. Um, in chapter 7, verses 1 through 16, it's clear that there were marital issues going on in the church. Um, there was idolatry, specifically in the form of sexual immorality. And so there, were just, there was some broken stuff that was off. It is kind of interesting that people that were most open to the moving of the Spirit were also pretty open to some other free, freeing things that weren't good. Um, so the context of the Corinthians is that things were a little bit of a mess. And so Paul is writing a letter to bring correction to a lot of these errors. I believe um, if, you, if you understand the context, not the cultural moment, the context of that church, what was happening, um, that when Paul is writing what he's writing in 1 Corinthians 14, I think that he is specifically talking about women who are contradicting their own husband in the church service. They're contradicting the prophecy of their husband, and he's saying this is damaging. So you should go home and talk to your husband. And y'all need to work out your healthy relationship of walking in respect, submission, mutual love. I, I believe that's what's happening in this context. One of the reasons I believe that, um, let, let me first of all read, read what we're referencing. 1 Corinthians 14, um, verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. I mean, it's pretty direct, like you said. If you go back three chapters to 1 Corinthians 11.5, it gives instructions for how a woman can prophesy in the context of a gathering. 1 Corinthians 11.5 Every wife who prays or prophesies, he says, with her head uncovered, dishonors her head, since it's the same as if her head was shaven. He's not saying she can't prophesy or pray in a church setting. He's talking about doing it in an honorable way. And so there, there appears to be in the Corinthian church an issue of some major marital tension going on and things being out of disorder and some women who are embarrassing their husbands. That seems to be the context 
of 1 Corinthians. So I, I lean towards interpreting it that way and not a blanket women can't ever talk in church. Um, now, I do believe that there are certain things God has set up in Scripture where the husband is head of the household. I believe there's even certain roles within the church that it seems pretty clear that they're male roles. Um, but even like when you see church eldership and stuff, what I see when I read that is while the husband might be the elder, that it talks about the wives and their role. And I, I believe there is a joint role there of husband and wife kind of serving together in that position. Um, Jesus had a lot of women around him and he empowered them and they were involved in ministry. Um, you know, the first person he appeared to after his resurrection was Mary Magdalene. So, um, you know, I, I also don't think I have the be all end all answers on all of this. You know, I think there's people that go, you know, all the way to like, man, you know, women can be pastors in, in the church. I think there's people that are like, they don't say a word and then there's room in between. And so I know in our context here, I mean, Crystal leads worship every Sunday. She shares from her heart. She prays for us. Um, we had her teach one Sunday morning. Like, I, you know, I, I, think, I think women can teach and communicate. And I think it's way more about the approach um, and the context. And so, so that's where I stand on it. Was that clear enough? I, I'm trying to, like, answer a really big question in a short period of time. Normally, I would have, like, an hour-long conversation with somebody about how do you sort out those issues. Um, yes. There's essentially an order that God has put out there. And when that order gets screwed up, yeah. things like what happened in the Corinthian church start to happen that yeah. way. And so Paul's like, hey, we got to correct this yeah. and go back a couple steps so that we can go forward. Yeah. Is that kind of? I think so. I think, I think one of the things he's addressing is like, man, if if you've got a spouse embarrassing the other spouse, contradicting them, especially in a public setting, man, that's not healthy for anybody involved. And part of the idea is like, if you're arrogant enough to think you've got something to say all of us when you're not even taking care of things in your own home and you don't, you're not walking in love and respect with your spouse, what do you have to share to the rest of the body? So I, I think that's what's going on there. I might be wrong. <laughs> I'm okay saying that, I might be wrong. Uh, you know, there, there are definitely areas in Scripture I'm just like, okay, Lord, this is what I'm pretty sure that you're saying, and I have a sense of agreement with some other leaders in my life, and so I'm going to live that out, and maybe my opinion will change at time, and maybe I'll get to heaven and I'll go, hey, buddy, you really blew it on that one. I'm like, all right, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, that, that might happen. So um, there's some things that I'll put a firm stake in the ground and say I think it's super clear that it's this and then I think there's a lot of room in the scripture and in our church settings where there, there's, there's freedom to have some different approaches. Caroline. I will keep answering questions. If you need to go, you can slide out and go, okay? I just want to give you all permission to leave if you didn't want you to feel like you're hijacked here. Yes. Um, okay, I have two questions. So okay. the first one is, what would you say about someone who's like not really a disciple of Christ, um, would you say that the Holy Spirit can do that work in someone who's not saved to pray in tongues, or would that be more limited to people that are actually like following Christ? It's a great question. I, I think what we see in Scripture is that 
it's it's a believer that prays in tongues, but I I would not close that off. I mean, I think God's wooing us all the time. I think the way we come to him in the first place is by his spirit and his presence drawing us to him. Now, if they're getting up and saying, I'm a leader, <laughs> and they don't even know Jesus, you know, I don't think that would be a right or appropriate, but you know, I don't know if the Holy Spirit might show up and move in somebody's heart and they're kind of still looking to discover who God is. And I guess it's possible. I don't see that in scripture. I see people coming to a knowledge of who God is. I even see people in scripture, like in Acts, where they've heard about like John the Baptist or they've repented. Um, and then they find out there's a Holy Spirit and they're like, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Great. And then they, they receive the Holy Spirit's presence in their life. Did that Answer your question? Okay. And then the second one is, what about, so if people gra- gather in groups of like six to ten people, and it's not necessarily a leader leading in tongues, but say they gather and they're yeah. all praying individually in that's tongues, great does question. that honor the that, Lord? That's a great question. Okay, so um, what what I would say is I, I think it goes back to, to why we know the audience and know the room, right? So if I'm gathered with six or eight friends and I know we all pray in tongues, it's a part of our normal prayer language, and we're gathering to worship and pray, and it's not gonna like run anybody off or harm them or, you know, trip people up if, if we're all on the same page. And so in that prayer setting, there's out loud public praying of tongues going on, great. I, I think that's totally fine. Um, and my guess is in that setting, there will probably even be some interpretation that might happen along the way. Um, or in praying in tongues, you know, you might be praying in tongues one minute and then it's like, man, I'm supposed to pray this. And then you, you start engaging your mind a, a little bit more. And so I, I think context matters a lot. Knowing who you're with. Um, honestly, this might sound like a weird place to go with that, but I think it's similar to alcohol. Like, I don't think the Bible disallows it. I also think um, used inappropriately, like we're not, we're not supposed to get drunk. Um, we're supposed to be sober-minded. Um, and I, I also believe we're, we're supposed to be careful of who we're around. And so I could trip somebody else up who has an issue with that or who might even struggle with alcoholism. And so I want to be sensitive to the context of who I'm with and who I'm around, even though there might be a freedom there. If I'm motivated by love, I'm going to care about the people I'm with and be careful. Amen? That seemed like you got, we got one more question. All right. It's not really a question. It's just a, an experience for me. I think for me, and a lot of people have spoken about the bitterness and things that they've experienced over the years from yeah. abuse of, of this type of thing. For me, something that um, is just kind of a word, I guess, of uh, wisdom is just, like you were saying, being aware of who you're around, being aware of how mature people are that you're around. And I think the the fear and the, the abuse comes when you pressure people Yes. that you're around to experience what you're experiencing and you have expectations for them. Although you know that it's good and you want them to experience that, forcing them into that situation before maybe they're ready um, is obviously very damaging. And that that's what I've experienced in the past. Yeah. And, and so that's what I would just kind of uh, kind of get, give everybody a little word of wisdom on is just to be careful, um, not expecting everyone to be where you are. Um, in those situations and in those moments or even in your relationship with the Lord. Absolutely. I mean, you're defining love right there, bro. It's like knowing people, knowing the context, not not pressuring people yourself and not being bullied into something either. 
Um, that's huge. Uh, that, that actually reminds me of something I wanted to address if the question didn't get asked. Um, there is a, a, there's a thought process in Christian circles that the speaking in tongues is the sign you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't think that's the case. I do think it's often a byproduct of being filled with the Holy Spirit, but I, I don't believe that's the case because it's listed as one of many gifts. Um, and I think it's even clear in Scripture at times, like, like Paul's talking to them and saying, hey, I, I do hope you all speak in tongues, but he's not even putting it on them like it's a pressured thing that they have to do or should do. And so um, I, I, don't, I don't think that it is the one sign that proves you're filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that. And I, I think that's where some of that pressure can come from is I think people have, have been stuck under the false assumption, I don't have the Holy Spirit in my life because I don't pray in tongues. And I think that rips people off, man. You, if you've invited God into your heart and you've asked his spirit to come be in you, he's in you. Is there room to grow? Is there, there new stuff he can hand you? Absolutely. But man, he is with you and he is in you and he loves you. Um, and then, yeah, let's learn more about what he has for us and say yes to that. Thanks for sharing, bud. Okay, last one, last one, and then, then we can talk um, separately. So just kind of go along with that other. I, mm-hmm. This is an experience, a friend of mine who desperately wanted to have mm-hmm. the gift of speaking in tongues but was given another gift of being able to play in this, play the uh, piano in the spirit. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to ask about, like, having an, was given another gift instead. Um, has that ever, has anybody ever had that kind of experience or have you ever seen anything like that before? Um, well, first of all, I think there's a biblical example immediately comes to mind when David would play the harp for Saul and it would, it would dispel the evil spirit that was tormenting Saul. So first of all, I just, I see that in scripture. So I think there's truth to that. Um, yeah, I, I think there's all kinds of, I mean, this might sound silly, but I actually kind of mean it. Um, I wish I had the gift to sing better. <laughs> I have the heart of a worshiper. I just don't have the voice of a worshiper. Um, I'd love to be able to get up and lead and sing. And, and so I don't have that gift. Um, and it's like, well, man, let me be thankful for the gifts God has given me, and I want to use those. And also, I don't think there's anything wrong to continue asking for something we haven't seen yet. Um, and so that, that'd be the, the short answer to that question. Awesome. All right, guys, this has been great. Thanks for hanging in here a little bit longer than usual as well. Um, please continue to have these conversations. You can come talk to me about them. Your life groups are a great place to process some of this stuff together. I'm praying that God will, you know, what Savannah opened up about, I'm praying that God will use our life groups to be a healthy, safe place where there can be some healing and encouragement from past experiences and stepping into new things the Lord might have for us. So anyway, love you guys. Let me just quickly pray a blessing and we'll get out of here. God, thank you for your love and your heart towards us. Thank you for this body of believers. God, would you lead us and guide us more and more into who you are, God, into what you're doing in our lives and how you want to use us to bless and encourage others. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.